Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of the co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall. Uh, Pete, we've had a week off because we both got really busy, but we're back. I'm excited to be here, so a lot to catch up with. How are you? Yeah, I can say I'm okay, but to be honest with you, man, uh, I'm bouncing between things. We haven't got very long for the podcast. We're going to split it up into (laughs) sort of two sessions, but the first one we're bashing out here... Uh, is going to be a a whip through, I think, of all the stuff that we've been watching over the last two weeks. Because like you mentioned, man, I'll take responsibility. We weren't able to do a show last week. We don't usually miss a week. We're pretty consistent with it. So we want to give something back this week by trying to cover as much as we can, obviously, from film consumption. And uh, worry not, we're not going to split your listening experience up into two parts. This will be one (laughs) completed podcast as always, but just we're fitting it around other things. And it's a, a busy time of the week at the moment so Paul um other than you know formalities at the beginning of the uh the show should we just get on with this should we get straight into the section of the show that we call popcorn movies in which we review the films that we've seen over the last seven nay 14 days (laughs) um kick us off man what have you been watching I haven't even spoken to you I have not the faintest idea (laughs) uh I've watched a lot to be honest I've been uh I've been on good good film watching form um in terms of what I think worth is worth talking about, let's start with uh, Greed, a fairly new release that I think came out last Friday. This is the latest one from Michael Winterbottom, uh, not so loosely based on Top, top Shop tycoon um, Philip Green, uh, starring Steve Coogan as, I think, Roger Richard McCready in this case. So they've renamed his character. It's definitely based on Philip Green. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what to make of this film, to be honest, Pete. I was expecting better from Michael Winterbottom. He's a director that I know is capable of very good stuff but I would say his recent output in my experience has not been not been his best um this one for me I don't really know what point it was trying to make until right at the very end when sort of sort of titles come up on the screen to say oh it is anti-greed and capitalism it felt to me like in places it was glamorizing um Steve Coogan's character a little bit too much a lot of the humor fell flat even David Mitchell's lines weren't particularly funny which is you know which is not a not a growing a glowing endorsement Coogan's not that funny yeah kind of forgettable to be honest and disappointing I don't really know what point it was trying to make and I would say this is not Winterbottom's finest and I think the subject matter deserved better so not great from my perspective yeah it's disappointing that man although I know it's got it seems to have got kind of middling reviews I haven't got to it yet myself we were going to do it as a feature weren't we and then um, well I'll take responsibility for that that too (laughs) yeah and I mean I think maybe the the middling to sort of poorer performance of this movie has meant that some of the uh, chain cinema branches are not actually showing it that often and that's my excuse of the week for why I haven't seen a film that we otherwise might have shared a discussion about. So yeah, uh, disappointing to hear that people who were involved that you might hope for more from haven't produced anything particularly memorable from what you said. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up, to be honest. So yeah, don't don't rush. You haven't missed much, in my opinion, anyway. You might you might feel differently, but hey-ho. <laughs> so one from me that I think I can recommend a little bit more strongly. I caught up with the film The Mustang. This is the one of our discussions about the beauty of both Matthias Schoenart's its star <laughs> yeah. and, uh, well, Wild Mustangs. Uh, it's an interesting one, this. It's beautifully, beautifully framed. Um, the cinematographer on the project is the guy who was also cinematographer on The Broken Circle Breakdown, which is a movie that I try to recommend as much as possible because it looks absolutely sumptuous and it's kind of a a beautiful achievement. But um, this one, yeah, as I say, stars Matthias Schoenartz as this guy with anger management problems, to say the very least, who is incarcerated as a result of an explosion of anger that he experienced some years ago. Details filled in later in the story's arc. And as part of his incarceration he is taken on to a team of sort of outdoors workers, a work team, because he can't mix well with others, as he says very early on in the film, uh, I don't do well with other people. Um, So he develops quite quickly a relationship of some description with a Mustang. But at first, it's basically another punching bag. He effectively has a fist fight with a Mustang, and the Mustang is not a willing participant in said fight. Um, it's it's kind of this, this man who looks sort of beyond redemption, finding his way to something like redemption through interaction with 
wild nature. Um, I don't think I can sum it up better than that. There's a supporting role here as well from... Um, who am I thinking of? So I've got the list in front of me. I'll remind myself. Gideon Adlin. Um, this is um, Pamela Adlin's daughter, who was in Blockers and so good in that movie. Yeah, yeah uh, she's great in that. Yeah. Connie Britton also has a supporting role as the woman who's trying to help in the rehabil- rehabilitation of Schoenart's character. And along the way, Paul, believe it or not, when you interact uh, prisoners, uh, you, some of them in isolation with horses, you get also ketamine, the horse tranquilizer, And this yeah, forms... Yeah, you would do. Yeah, yeah it's sort <laughs> of a central conflict in the film as to those prisoners who want Schoenart's character to supply them with ketamine and his desire to try and stay on the straight and narrow and do something to straighten out his life and develop a, or repair the relationship that he has with his daughter, played by the aforementioned Gideon Adlin. It's beautifully, beautifully framed. Um, it's a, a lovely piece of work, and I think it mostly achieves its goals. Although, because the character is so distant and is so damaged and is so sort of um, non-communicative, it can be quite difficult maybe to connect with this guy. Um, I think this is an inevitability. Although um, Heaven Sent then is Bruce Dern, who is um, the guy who is in charge of the horse project, who is always just a kind of warm, lovable screen experience. So yeah, Yeah, I'd recommend it, man. Bruce Dern's always a winner for for me. I've been meaning to catch up with this for a while and just not. So um, based on your recommendation, I'll find find it sooner rather than later. It's a few quid to rent on uh, Prime Video at the moment. So I think it's it's $1.99 or something, isn't it? Worth a look. Yeah, certainly worth a look. Anyway, what what else have you seen? I've talked enough about that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I've, what can I say about this next one? I watched The Boy. That's not the one that I want to talk about. I also watched Brahms' The Boy 2, the sequel to uh, The Boy. Um, this, from my perspective, is the sequel no one wanted to the original film that no one liked. Um, it's just <laughs> it's just a horribly flat sequel that attempts to retcon anything remotely interesting from the original, which wasn't great anyway. An over-reliance on, on jump scares and just an absolutely shonk horror to be honest that just they phoned this one in for a for a cheap profit it's a horrible horror film and not in a good way um it's very boring it's badly made and it's just not very good uh brahms the boy to avoid like the plague so you've seen the first one as well i mean was that i watched that quite recently which also wasn't very good so so when you watched the first one how come you still decided to go and see the second one well a website i write for paid me to review this right. film so uh, i thought i'd go and see it fair so, enough yeah. in that case pure but i'm completely mercenary in this um another one well to be honest with you man i should have been paid to go and see the next one uh this one is <laughs> like a boss in cinemas now folks uh this one from director miguel arteta uh, kind of and a, a committee i would imagine uh stars rose byrne salma hayek lisa kudrow uh and of course tiffany haddish tiffany haddish is the reason you'd go to a movie like this because you think this is going to be one of those knockabout comedies that isn't particularly funny but tiffany haddish might elevate the project she doesn't really elevate the project, Paul. The criticism that Tiffany Haddish uh, gleans a lot of her comedy from shouting is has never been truer than in this film. It is it is mostly her <laughs> shouting stuff. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. L- looking yeah. for a punchline where maybe a punchline doesn't exist. I laughed out loud twice in the movie, so I've got to give it that. Uh, both of those laughs came from fringe bit part characters not from the main pair and I think that might tell you something about this relationship between Rose Byrne and Tiffany Haddish characters they basically own a clothing store they're lifelong friends their clothing store is tanking they're not making any money and then in steps their saviour possibly played by Salma Hayek she is a a mogul I guess in the um, makeup space and she is going to take them under her wing and give them the opportunity of a lifetime to put their brand branded makeup and their um their brand i guess on a a bigger and better platform and get it out there to the masses problem being that she's obviously going to steal from them creative control and the thing that joins them together and through the course of these events their friendship will be tested and then at the beginning of the third act there will be a big conflict and eventually they'll sort it out you've seen this film before so you don't really need (laughs) to see this one uh like i say other than about two laughs this is an extremely long 83 minutes that's all i'll say uh what else have you got yeah 
not a, not a glowing endorsement there. Um, more from more positivity. Um, this is Night Tide from 1961, directed by a guy called Curtis Harrington, who I've not been familiar with before. This was put out by um the Indicator guys, who put out some pretty awesome um, Blu-rays of quite obscure films. Um, yeah, directed by Curtis Harrington, starring a very very young Dennis Hopper. Um, this film, Pete, is is fascinating for a number of reasons. A, it's a really good film. Um, it's a really well made, compelling um sort of twist and turns thriller where uh Dennis Hopper plays a young Navy, a US Navy man who falls in love with a girl who may or may not be a mermaid or a siren um, who may or may not be trying to lead him to his death um, if that sounds a little bit like the lighthouse there's definitely there's definitely a lot from uh, Nighttide that's been taken into the lighthouse certain scenes um, 100% there's some scenes involving octopus tentacles that you think oh that looks familiar so yeah it was really quite interesting to watch something that if it wasn't uh, it, it must have been an influence on the lighthouse I'd be very surprised if um, Robert Eggers hasn't watched this film hasn't watched Nighttide before making the lighthouse so yeah it's a really great piece of work a really really fascinating really really atmospheric really well really well made um, sort of supernatural thriller that I've got a lot of time for and yeah in the wake of the lighthouse coming out thought it was kind of essential viewing so yeah uh, Nighttide if you haven't seen it and you like the lighthouse then check out Nighttide it's uh, great not great Paul I'm going to follow up with a not great pick from from the last 14 days <laughs> this one I don't know why I've seen this movie to be honest with you it was one of those scrolling through prime uh, scrolling through prime video and uh, I don't know not loving myself enough maybe is the reason I put myself through this uh, are you familiar Paul with an actress called Tallulah Riley just about yes Tallulah Riley you may know as being former twice Mrs Elon Musk right, they were married okay. and divorced and married and divorced but she's this English actress who attended the ladies college in Cheltenham the very town in which I live and was actually in the same year group as a former girlfriend of mine so I feel like very uh, sort of six degrees of separation I have some though, kind yeah. Of, <laughs> yeah some kind of kinship with old Tallulah uh, Tallulah appeared in things like Inception in that sequence in the bar with Joseph Gordon-Levitt if you remember that but she's been this actress known mostly for British projects like uh, St Trinian's or or, or or alike. Uh, here, though, Tallulah Riley is not only the star, but also the director of a project called Scottish Muscle. The, the word muscle spelled M-U-S-S-E-L. Do you see what they've done? I, I get uh, you. <laughs> this, this, Paul, is that vital movie that we've been crying out for, which is a drama set in Scotland, populated by largely non-Scottish actors putting on Scottish accents and living out the twists and turns, the ups and downs, the emotional roller coaster of competitive muscle, uh, what would you even call that, scavenging? Right. Uh, getting pearls from muscles that may be valuable. This is a weird thing, man. It's a really weird thing. In a central role, we've got Martin Compston, who you'll know from things like um, Line of Duty, that's very popular on British television and, and sort of syndicated worldwide, but also from way, way back, a guide to recognising your saints and stuff like that. He's kind of made it fairly big. But then we've also got um, Joe, what's his face, from The Inbetweeners? Uh, who's the guy that I'm talking about here? Joe Thomas. That's it, yeah. From The In in between us, with a Scottish accent, he's one of those in this thing. Um, it's odd, man. They they go into, for example, Scottish rivers in the middle of winter, but then Tallulah Riley will strip to her bikini. I, I, I can't imagine why she thought she'd include that in the movie. Um, and then she'll dive. But the dive sequence seen from below the water will be in completely clear water that seems to be metres and metres deep when they've just been wading in the right. same river that was about wasting it, it just sounds it's like it's real, badly made from the sound of it. <laughs> it it's kind of badly made it's kind of doing that thing you know where like a sort of well-to-do well-reared uh, young man or woman maybe like Tallulah Riley is trying so hard to be quirky yeah but they don't quite have the vocabulary or the grammar to communicate quirkiness effectively. Uh, that Scottish muscle, do not watch it. Um, yeah, control yourself. <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime if you are intrigued. Paul, what else have you got? Uh, I finally caught up with The Day Shall Come, the uh, latest Chris Morris film uh, from last year. Um, yeah, I remember we talked about this and you kind of measured my expect, tempered my expectation a little bit. Um, the premise is great. The story's relatively strong and the film ends on a gut punch. 
but the comedy just doesn't land. I just did not. It did not make me laugh. Like it felt in in sort of large swathes, like it was someone else trying to make a Chris Morris film. Like, do, do you see where I'm coming from? I just I felt like a lot of this, a lot of the kind of comedy with the the terrorists in Bunny Ears, um, felt like almost like a cover, a bad cover version of what's happened previously and what what we've seen previously in Four Lions. And yeah, the the jokes just didn't land for me. The, the premise is fascinating enough, but yeah. I, quite disappointed with this one Pete if I'm honest yeah m- massively so man when I reviewed it on the show I felt the same way uh, as you were saying that it uh, your expectations of a fan of the guy's work and the body of work that he already has it you know it's a possibly good film mm. I mean if I saw that that work from somebody else I would think you know here's a little hidden gem maybe recommend it to one or two people but because it's a Chris Morris production it just feels weak and watered down and kind of tepid and and not anything like as interesting or incisive or funny as you say as as you might have hoped for. So yeah, I'm totally with you. It's it's a big disappointment from last year. That yeah, absolutely. Um, have you seen many? I've got one, probably one more to talk about. But I'll let you dive in if you if you've got anything else. Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, I'll get this one out of the way quickly. I caught up with Charlie's Angels, which I think you've already reviewed on the show. Right? Yeah. What did you think? Um, the, <laughs> yeah. Basically, what do I think? It doesn't work. Um, the yeah, what are the problems? I mean, the problems are you've got Kristen Stewart, which I think was a sort of left field, interesting choice for a reboot of Charlie's Angels. But with all due respect to the other two members of the trio um, here, Naomi Scott and Ella Belinska, I think Ella Belinska is passable. Naomi Scott, not great uh, in the movie. I just think that there isn't enough what is, there's not enough star power mm. to make me care about this trio of people. And then action sequence wise I just don't think Elizabeth Banks has the chops for this kind of material I think maybe if this had been not such a well-known IP and Elizabeth Banks had made a small action movie and it had slipped under the radar maybe straight to streaming video then fine she's building up you know, her, her her skills in that type of filmmaking. You know, we've reviewed plenty of action movies, Paul, by fairly accomplished action directors and pulled them apart for various mm. reasons. So when someone comes at this thing new with all this expectation around what Charlie's Angels represents and what she might be saying and what kind of a statement she might be making with the film, all those things seem a bit irrelevant when you actually get into this thing, which is sort of a badly put together, relatively badly shot, slightly amateurish at times, um, sort of ineffective, uh, underpowered effort that that just happens. And it's soundtracked badly and it doesn't stick with you. At one point they use Run the Jewels, I think. So I'll give them that. Yeah. But, but yeah, otherwise, I don't know, man. It just goes out with yeah, a whimper. It's, I d- yeah, it's not great. Not great by by any means. No, and Kristen Stewart's fine, and Kristen Stewart looks the part in this, um, and she's obviously invested in it, but no, no <laughs> to this. No. The Ghostbusters reboot, for comparison, much better. Yeah, and that wasn't all that, to be fair. So, no. yeah, no, I'm with you, to be honest, on that one. Um, yeah, what else have I seen? I'll probably squeeze in one, maybe one, maybe two more. Um, this is Possum. Uh, directed by Matt Holness, who people will know, uh, probably better know as Garth Marenghi, and one of the crea- well, the great driving creative force behind Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, arguably the greatest TV sitcom of our time. Uh, I'll just throw throw that out there. I'm a big fan. Uh, this stars Sean Harris um, as a very disturbed individual. Um, he's a disgraced children's puppeteer. He returns to his childhood home to confront his wicked stepfather and secrets that have tortured him his entire life. Uh, thank you, Letterbox, for that. Um, yeah. Fucking hell, Pete. I, I don't often get shit up by horror films, but this genuinely scared me. Like It's it's relentlessly disturbing from start to finish, incredibly atmospheric, and just absolutely grim in its tone. Like Cinema doesn't come much bleaker than this film. Um, Sean Harris is, is perfectly cast in this, um, without a doubt. And the, the puppet itself, like some there's some very surreal scenes in here, some very dark some very disturbing scenes the puppet itself is terrifying um yeah it's not an easy one to recommend for, for a lot of listeners out there but if you can stomach and uh, like just the subject matter's bleak as you can imagine from a disgraced children's puppeteer um it's, it's as bleak as you'd expect it's, n- it's nothing like dark place i remember matt holness saying people kept asking him if it was a comedy and didn't believe him when he said it wasn't it's not it really is not it's a harrowing piece of work it's a really really well-made horror film 
but it's not for the faint of heart, and it's a film that will stick with me for quite is a while. Is this accessible, Possum? Uh, yes, Possum is is a widely available. I think I picked it. I got it on Blu-ray for my birthday. I think mm. last year, so I've had it knocking. It. I think 2018 it came out originally, so should be fairly widely available. So yeah, if you can stomach it, check it out. Uh, but yeah, it's not an easy one to recommend. Uh, one that is well, I guess, uncomfortable in its own ways, uh, in a number of ways, but certainly a recommendation from me. Although unfortunately not as available as it was about a week ago is uh, my last one for this week Todd Haynes movie Safe from 1995 which was streaming on Mubi and has just just it been removed movie, it? but yeah. is available on disc uh, format of course um, this is really good um, this is this piece of work that focuses or centres on a young Julianne Moore. She's probably about 30 at the time, I guess, late 20s. And she is married to an affluent, um, upwardly mobile gentleman who seems bland and dull and some sort of a shade of grey. And um, in the film, from its outset, she is exhibiting symptoms of illness, some physical, some psychological, some psychiatric, but... None of them seem to be um, recognised by any medical figure as any kind of particular uh, illness, condition or what have you. So her husband begins to question whether there's actually anything wrong with her. The doctor seems to be questioning that too. And maybe she just needs to sit down and talk to someone and maybe she'll settle down. A big influence, talking of influences this week, Paul, I think on the January Jones character in Mad Men. Um, that's that came to mind uh, okay. here anyway. Uh, someone who's domesticated and should now be happy. You know, r- roll out the red carpet for your mm. life. You're a domesticated housewife. You've got all the money and all the possessions that you could desire. Now be happy. But she's not happy. Something's missing. Something's empty inside her. And it's coming out of her in situations where she can't hide it anymore. She's at gatherings of well-to-do, you know, uh, moneyed women. And suddenly she's staring into space or shaking or has a nosebleed and nobody knows what's wrong with her and why she's behaving like this um carol becomes a a bit of a an outsider of the group in which she's supposed to integrate and this eventually leads her on this journey to a particular sort of institutional life um but you'd have to watch the movie to know exactly what i'm talking about there it's also got a feel of something like um American Psycho, a sort of takedown of a late 80s, early 90s consumerism that's very relevant today as well. Todd Haynes, of course, is this guy who uh, directed, well, most recently Dark Waters, which is uh, coming out over the weekend, so it'll be in coming attractions, but also things like Carol, uh, which is incidentally the name of Julianne Moore's character here. Uh, This one, really, really good. It's got a sort of icy atmosphere to it. It's in a kind of grainy standard definition uh, presentation. Everything feels off. There's a sort of um, broken refrigerator buzz that permeates the film and makes you feel the discomfort of something being wrong and not knowing quite what that is. And it's impossible to say those words without then linking to a director like David Lynch and something like Inland Empire, right? This woman is in trouble. Something happened. We don't know what and nobody will listen to her. I really like this. I really liked it. And I think it's one of Todd Haynes' strongest works and and maybe one of the best films of its kind made in the 1990s i might go that far um check it out if you get the chance that one is safe right so that brings us to the end of our bumper popcorn movies review of this week we'll be back after this brief break with uh this week's coming attractions So here we are, Coming Attractions, the section of the show where we talk about movies that are coming out in the weekend ahead of us, with this show being recorded on a Thursday and going up over the weekend. These are the films that you can go and see, hopefully, if they're available in a cinema close to you, or in at least one case, uh, via an internet connection and a streaming service. Let's get to it, Paul. First of all, this week, we have... The Invisible Man. This one, an intriguing proposition, partly because it stars Elizabeth Moss and I like her a lot. Secondly, because it's a recognisable horror property. As this got you fired up, I should add before you give me your thoughts, this is directed and co-written by Lee Whannell that people discovered, I guess, through the Saw franchise as an actor and writer and uh, I believe co-director on the first 
Saw movie. Uh, are you excited for The Invisible Man, Paul, and why or why not? Uh, I am excited for The Invisible Man, and the main reason for that, actually, is... Well, Elizabeth Moss is great. I think she is a very talented actress, so I think she'll be very good in this. Uh, and Lee Wanell also did um, one of my... Probably, I'd say, if I'd seen it in time, probably top films of 2018, which was... Um, the bonkers sci-fi action film Upgrade, which I thought was absolutely superb. Um, so on the basis of the fact that he did such a good job of Upgrade, I'm quietly confident that this, although it doesn't, I don't think the trailer does it that much justice, I think this will be pretty good, in all honesty. I'm quite looking forward to this one. Yeah, early signs promising. We've got a 71 meta score at present. And like you said, I mean, the calibre of an actress like Elizabeth Moss should guarantee that there is a sort of, a certain level of quality here. I don't think she'd have signed herself up to a project unless it had had that quality. I mean, given the run that she's been on recently, yeah, it would surprise me if this isn't at least good. So we'll get to <laughs> it uh, quite possibly as a feature next week, but that remains to be seen given how much is actually out this week. Bringing us swiftly along to the second uh, wide release of the week, which is Dark Waters. I mentioned it earlier. This is the latest from director Todd Haynes. He of Carol and of course of Safe, which I popcorn reviewed today. Uh, Todd Haynes's film Dark Waters tells the true story of a corporate defense attorney who takes on an environmental lawsuit against a chemical company that exposes a lengthy history of pollution. This one has at its center uh, a performance from Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo, not for the first time, playing man on a crusade for justice. Uh, <laughs> Paul, how do you feel uh, going into this one uh, anticipation wise? Uh, I'm eagerly anticipating this one. Todd Haynes is a, is a capable director for sure. Mark Ruffalo, I think, is is a strong actor. I think it probably got overlooked a little bit in the in the award season buzz because it is kind of similar to the stuff that Mark Ruffalo's done before, I guess. Um, so maybe there's that sense of familiarity to it that people maybe aren't as excited as they would have once been about a project of this nature. But I I know I'm I'm quite I'm into this. I think it will be I think it will be competently directed, and I think it will be a, a solid. A solid, if not outstanding, film. Uh, we shall see. You've seen it, I know, but obviously we're not gonna we're gonna hold back on that. But yeah, any, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, unlike the protagonist, my lips are sealed <laughs> on, on that one. We'll get to it next week. Uh, we also have onward uh, described uh, very controversially by the Guardian as uh, frozen for boys. Uh, onward is the latest. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. Who's the the production company? Who, who is this one? Disney Pixar, of Disney course Pixar, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, the reason why I hesitate, Paul, is I feel like the the buzz around this project and the sort of lead in for from me for whatever reason, maybe I'm just busy, has been almost non-existent. Have you been made aware of the imminent release of Onward? And are you buzzing about the opportunity to see another? Disney Pixar big screen outing. To be honest, I'm, I'm always keen to watch a Pixar outing. I, I don't know. I mean, I watched the trailer for this one a few months back and it, it didn't grab me in the same way that some of the other trailers have or maybe the maybe the, the premise. I mean, the premise here, we've got two teenage boys, two teenage brothers who discover there's still magic out there to spend one last day with their father who died when he was too young to remember him. So that's, you know, that's pure, pure Pixar gold potentially in there in terms of that subject matter. So I, I mean, it, perhaps it will be good. The trailer didn't grab me. I, I think this probably will end up being a pleasant surprise, to be honest. From what I've been reading, it seem, does seem to be, the press seems to be positive. But I'm, I'm kind of with you. This one seems to have, does seem more so than others to have snuck out under the radar a little bit, especially for such a major studio as Pixar to be releasing a film in what feels like under the radar. So yeah, a kind yeah. of bizarre release pattern for this one, I think. But Yeah, I mean, early reviews, not stellar. Um, I think we're at about a 63 meta score at the moment. And as with anything Pixar, on the other hand, you've got this entirely stellar cast uh, voicing this animated project. We've got Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus in here, uh, Tracy Ullman, Octavia Spencer, Lena Waithe, Ali Wong, loads of recognisable names and recognisable voices. I'm sure it'll be a decent time at the cinema, but like you, Paul, it feels like it might be a sort of you know, reasonable time at the cinema rather than a, a sort of breathtaking or particularly life-changing one. But we will see. And again, we'll cover it on next week's show. We've also got a hotly anticipated film in the form of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Paul. What do you know about Portrait of a Lady on Fire and, and what can you fill us in on? I, I know this has got buzz like awards yeah buzz, right? buzz buzz wise is one of the most one of the most hyped films of last year i think it's and it's ended quite high on a number of films of the year list up there with bait 
um, and uh, well, and the best films of last year, which completely escaped me at this point now. Uh, up there, up there with Bait and sort of Parasite, it's been talked about in in those kind of circles as being just as an absolutely incredible piece of work. So uh, the trailer, uh, the, 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 all I really know about it is what I've seen in the trailer. To be honest, and I've kind of avoided reading much about it because I don't want to know much. But the trailer looks like it would be an absolutely lavish lavish film um it looks beautiful and i think it will be uh, i think it will be a, a very very heartfelt and engaging romance in places and i think quite uh quite quite erotically charged as well from what i can glean uh from the little reading i have put, done. put so that I'm on the poster that. put that on the poster <laughs> yeah. quite, erotically, quite charged. erotically charged paul anderson <laughs> yeah uh, i mean i know little to nothing about this one other than the stuff that you said regarding like the award season buzz and the anticipation levels based off a trailer, uh, in my case anyway, uh, the the synopsis that we have available on an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. Um, pretty uh, oblique description of what might be in store with this one, but I'm willing to bet that we're going to have a lot to say on it, um, and that'll come around as well with next week's show. Uh, so yeah, a lot to anticipate and not quite finished yet, and I should say Paul by the way you know I've got into this habit of saying like oh anticipation levels then meta score the meta score for portrait of a lady on fire currently 95 uh okay yeah well I was already excited about it that's that's quite quite something I'm not sure I've ever seen a meta score <laughs> no. that that high so yeah I think parasites probably around that range also but yeah we'll we'll wait and see if it lives up to those sort of lofty expectations uh, the History of the Kelly Gang, the last one for this week. This is the latest from Justin Kurzel, uh, starring George Mackay, a guy I feel like we've talked about a bit recently, um, and currently holding a Metascore of 83, to stay on that theme. Based on Peter Carey's novel, the story of an Australian bushranger called Ned Kelly and his gang as they flee from the authorities during the 1870s. Another period piece with, this time, George McKay at the centre. Excited for this one, Paul? Uh, yeah, I think the trailer looks great. Um, I think this will be the, probably the hardest, the hardest one to see out of all of them this weekend. Unfortunately, I think the trailer looks good. Um, yeah, it's nice to see George Mackay doing something kind of more indie focused, I guess, than nineteen seventeen. Not that nineteen seventeen was a bad film by any stretch, um, but yeah, I'm quite excited, quite excited for this one. I think the trailer looks really good. And uh, one of absolutely our people in this one, Thomas in McKenzie, has a supporting role. Um, as yes, does, and she is incredible. As does so. uh, Chief War Boy himself, Nicholas Holt. So uh, yeah, people to look out for there. So yeah, we've got a whole clutch of movies, five of them in fact, that are all contenders for feature reviews next week. We'll decide amongst ourselves what's really stood out, what we've got the most to talk about with, and then we will review them in due course on next week's show, either in the feature section or in the popcorn section. But that is the end of Coming Attractions, which means we'll drop out to a break and we'll come back for the section of the show that we call Feature Reviews, right after this. Uh, so back we are with our feature review of this week. This is uh, Emma, the latest, or should I say Emma Full Stop, um, the latest Jane Austen adaptation from director Autumn DeWild, starring Anya Taylor-Joy as the titular Emma. Uh, Pete, set this one up for us a little bit. In 1800s England, a well-meaning but selfish young woman meddles in the love lives of her friends. That well-meaning but selfish young woman is here played by the stellar young star Anya Taylor-Joy. And her Emma, her depiction of Emma, meddles in the love lives of those around her in so much as she wants to have basically control. She's sort of a puppeteer of social situations and wants to direct people, particularly uh, the girl who is sort of her closest confidant at the outset of the film, to make the decisions uh, which she has approval for, I suppose. During the course of her shenanigans, her interventions in the love lives of others, she finds herself kind of inextricably drawn to a character by the name of George Knightley, played by the actor and musician Johnny Flynn that people will know from uh, Beast, the indie from a couple of years ago that was so great, and maybe finds that she herself might be in the very beginnings of a love affair that maybe she didn't think was going to arrive for her, and certainly not in the manner in which it does. Uh, her 
I, I don't want to say aide, her close friend, uh, Harriet Smith, is played here by Mia Goth. Um, again, we saw her in stuff last year like uh, High Life, a really interesting, quite um, adaptable, I think, young actress. But before I get into performances, before we pick apart details of the film, let's hear a little clip. Ah, I'm just <laughs> Come, set your companions an example. They're all lazy. They're all asleep. You must dance another set. I am ready whenever I am wanted. With whom will you dance? With you. If you will ask me. You have shown that you can dance, and we are not really so much brother and sisters to make it improper. No, indeed. So, yeah, as, as you mentioned uh, when, uh, on the, when we started up, it's 100% in uh, Austin period drama territory here. Um, and I think the, the first thing that, that comes to mind for this and one of the things I will say in uh, positives about the film is, my God, does this film look incredible, Pete? <laughs> like, it is just a, a lavish, a lavish production. Um, the costume design, as one might expect from a, a sort of a big budget of period drama, is second to none here. I think the film just looks incredible from start to finish. It just like no, there's no stone unturned in detail. The de the detailing is fantastic. The outfits are incredible, and yeah, it's, it is an absolute feast for the eyes for sure. Yeah, I mean, where where to start? I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it it looks uh, tremendous, uh, and it looks prestige, um, and it looks like money has been spent and been spent pretty wisely in the staging of the production here um, and at the very center pool maybe we should start with um the the woman of the hour herself Anya Taylor-Joy Anya Taylor-Joy is this actress that we have talked about on our show for a good couple of years now um appearing in all kinds of things uh, favorites and standouts maybe something like thoroughbreds um what else uh, particularly the witch of uh, the witch of course yeah, she's she's great in the witch um, what was the yeah what was the uh the sort of gothic country house one that i quite liked and you didn't like marabone marabone yeah. yeah i wasn't a big fan of marabone to be honest but yeah but but i think that there's something to be said for the sort of um magnetism of her as a screen presence i mean anya taylor joy looks almost alien she seems to have acres of distance between her eyes for example she's the kind of face that is not replicated anywhere else i think in uh, young performers at this point at least not on the level of exposure that she has and i think that i've mentioned that first of all not to be sort of leery about the attractiveness of the central character here but for the fact that she absolutely carries something like this because she's always at at minimum interesting to watch on screen right mm. yeah and no, i completely agree and i think she is you know i will get to what i thought of the rest of the film shortly but uh she is one of the strengths of this film and i think it is nice to see her move out of genre work uh, although she's great in horror this this for me i think is a real test for her uh for her career we talked about this last last a uh, couple of weeks ago when we talked about this film becoming attractions i think it's a real test for her to see to see what her star power is to see if she can carry a movie uh based on her based on her leading performance and i think on the strength of this i think she does and i think it's uh i think it's a good career move for her and it's really nice to see her branch out into material we're not so familiar seeing her handle and i think she does a great job of it and i think she is she is absolutely the heart and soul of this movie as in fairness is is mia goth in a supporting role i think the both of them are absolutely superb here. yeah and i would just throw into that that co uh, cocktail of of performances the the george knightley character played by johnny flynn i think johnny flynn is becoming turning into a real talent i i think what you have to have in a film like this because i think i have a sense of some of the criticisms that you might have and i don't want to preempt them <laughs> but what you have to have here is some investment some care in this relationship that may or may not be formed at the center of the plot right and that relationship may or may not develop between anya taylor joy's character and that of johnny flynn and I think those performances are so strong and the chemistry between the two of them is so believable, so palpable, that I really bought in to that emergent relationship. And that's credit to the two performances. They're alongside Mia Goth and others, as you mentioned. Bill Nye's really good in this. There are supporting roles that, that shouldn't go unmentioned. I mean, even Miranda Hart manages to, to not ruin this somehow. So that's testament <laughs> to, the, uh, to the writing as well as the performances, I suppose. But um, yeah, I mean... 
get into it a little bit, Paul. Is there a reservation? Is there a but coming? Is there a however coming in your in your? I assessment? mean, for me, there is, and I mean, there is. There's, there's there's possibly a couple of reasons for that. I think sort of midway through, I kind of remembered that. I've tried in the past with Jane Austen material, and it's not something I I struggle to engage with with any Jane Austen material really. I don't, it's not that I, I think it's bad. I'm not going to criticise her as a writer. Who who am I to do that? But I just I struggle to engage with with some of the subject matter. I struggle to engage with some of the characters, um, despite the good performances. And I think for for me, and that's not the only problem I had with this. For me, if you compare it to kind of the the kind of energy or, or or vigor that something like Greta Gerwig brought to the, like the classic literary adaptation genre of Little Women, or like even even uh, with what Armando Iannucci brought to David Copperfield, he tried to do something different with what I thought was a bit of a stoic kind of stuck in the mud genre, and I think for me outside of the good performances this felt a bit too much like a by sort of paint by numbers uh, literary adaptation filmmaking for my taste anyway so outside of the performances i found the whole thing a little bit dull and a little bit flat unfortunately i just couldn't engage with the story and perhaps just austin is not my thing I, I don't know but the outside of it looking nice in the performances it just didn't resonate for me it didn't grab me yeah i think um i'd, I'd probably just take what you said and sort of flip it and look at the other side of it. I guess that's how I've come at the movie anyway, or mm. how I've ended up feeling about this movie, which is that uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is conventional. I think it's clearly generic. It's of a genre and it adheres to the rules of that genre. Um, and it doesn't really, um, uh, maybe it doesn't take risks is not the right way to put it, but it doesn't step far outside the lines. As you say, it's kind of paint by numbers. But you know what, Paul? Sometimes when someone creates a complex paint by numbers pattern and you fill it in and you colour in the colours that were acquired <laughs> of you, what you get is a beautiful picture that is really quite an enjoyable both experience and aesthetic product at the end of it all. And I think with Emma, what I found is rather than feeling like, oh, this isn't Little Women, I mean, it couldn't be. It isn't... The this ensemble of uh, constant fluid chatter. The characters just aren't there for that. And at the same time, it's not David Copperfield. No, it's not Iannucci doing sort of flourishing cuts between sequences and kind of sh showy kind of uh, uh, transitions, which I liked, uh, don't get me wrong. Um, it's doing something conventional, but it's doing something conventional very, very well. Uh, and that's, I think, Although it sounds like a fairly sort of weak or watered down uh, compliment or boost to a movie like Emma, I think that that's the best I can say about it. I think it does what it sets out to do very well. And what it sets out to do is not to reinvent the wheel, is not to do a, a completely new interpretation. I mean, my God, we've seen decades of, oh, you've <laughs> never seen Jane Austen like this. How about I don't want to see Jane Austen as, you know, a, a performance of, uh, I don't know stomp dance or uh, <laughs> I don't know beat poetry or whatever I want to see this material given uh, a, a sort of set dressing dressing that is prestige I want strong performances and I want the work to exist as the work and be treated with the care that it deserves and I think by and large that's what this director in Autumn Dwild and the performers here achieve will it be memorable to the point that it's going to get on an end of year list when we come to whittle down to 10 for the year I very much doubt it but that shouldn't be a reason to be down on a film because it might not stand out as the most towering you know unconventional and rule-breaking achievement of the year it doesn't mean it's not very very good it's like um you know when you have a meal that you've had before <laughs> but maybe it's a favourite, maybe it's a winter warmer, maybe maybe it's comfort food, Paul, and you appreciate it and you have a good time and you feel nourished. That's what I felt with this, basically. No, and I, do you know what? I can't, I can't disagree with any of what you've just said, uh, and, and nor will I try, to be honest, because, you know, like there is, as I've often said, there is certainly a place for like well-trod, well-put-together genre pieces. I just don't think it's my genre. Mm. I think that's 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 the bigger problem. I think it was if it was facing an uphill battle, but, but when I sat down in the cinema, um, and you know that's maybe that's that's something I need to look at perhaps. But there's certain genres that people relate to, and certain ones don't. It's just maybe not my thing. No, but... Paul. No, no. This is a journey of self-discovery because <laughs> because. I feel the way that you feel about this about largely uh, historical epics. 
Right, okay. <laughs> you know when we did, um, what was the... Uh, the King. The King, yeah. Yeah. I felt like you feel now. I felt like, oh, uh, yeah, I get it. There's a battle. Men have to deal with power. Power corrupts them and on and on and okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of feel that way. So I get it. I, I get that this isn't going to turn you around if you're not a big fan of the genre and you're not a huge fan of the sort of Jane Austen literary ad- adaptation. But for me, as someone who is a relatively decent fan of of that kind of material i think there's going to be a lot of pleasure to be found in this thing and um you know just coming back round to it the amount that you can spend looking at anya taylor joy's beautiful alien face <laughs> makes it worthwhile and i forget the name i'm trying to look down desperately through the list of of people here but you'll know who i'm talking about just when i'd settled on the fact that there is no other sort of alien otherworldly beauty to equal anya taylor joy's look Along comes that girl who's in sex 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 education, education. who is even more alien looking with her bug eyes and strange (laughs) hair. So, oh, and we have a screen reunion between her and uh, Connor Swindles, who's also in sex education. In sex education. Yeah, Yeah, that was that was I was like, oh, this literally I think at one point I kind of was roused from my sort of half asleep slumber by going. Oh, I kind of left and was like, oh, there was two people from sex education in it. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of, yes, yeah. there were. Yes, there were. And that <laughs> that was good. And I mean, what did you think? I, I don't like very much, if I'm honest, the actress and comedic performer, Miranda Hart. But here, I actually thought that character was pretty well written and um, her performance was surprisingly strong. Mm, I mean, I'm not a fan either, and uh, like, I don't, without, I don't want to be personally mean because no one likes that guy. Uh, yeah, I guess for Miranda, it was a good performance, but it kind of ev- just every time, it, she, yeah, her performances normally normally don't gel well with yeah, me, shall we say? Put I it this way, Paul. Fan. Put it this way: she moved outside her comfort zone of falling over and then making an embarrassed <laughs> face. There is and, that, yes. I'll give it. Yes, that is and very props, true. Props, yeah. man. She's growing, <laughs> and I appreciate it, and I'm here for it. Uh, but most of all, I'm here for Anya Taylor Joy. And like, honestly, whatever she does next, uh, I'll be on board because, I mean, we were going to do a list. If we're fully, fully uh, upfront, Paul, we were going to do a list, weren't we? This week, which was going to be a top five of sort of emerging stars. And the only reason we were going to do it is really off the back of talking about Anya Taylor Joy in conjunction with this movie. That top five probably will be incoming in the not too distant future. We're not going to include it on today's show, though. But she is really one to watch among a batch, including the likes of Thomas in McKenzie that was previously mentioned, of really strong young actresses who are doing great work. Florence Pugh as well, obviously. Yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. So, yeah, going back to Emma, not for me, doesn't necessarily make it a bad film. I would agree with you on that one. Just not not really my thing, to be honest. Yeah, there's 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 stuff to like, but it didn't it didn't float my boat. And and from my side, yeah, if you if you like this sort of thing, get yourself along. It's it's well performed. It's well staged. It's pretty well written. Um, and that. Oh, man. Are you not with me? The, the the scene towards the end that I won't spoil, because I guess you can't give spoilers to Jane Austen literature even now. Uh, <laughs> the scene that involves uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Johnny Flynn and a tree. Did that not touch your heart in some way? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I'll take that. That's that's good enough for me. Yeah. Yeah, a bit. That's, that's what you get. Nice. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it, it, there's a full stop on the title, but this certainly won't be a full stop on Jane Austen adaptations. And if there's another one coming around the corner, Paul, I'm sure you'll be uh, eager to get your teeth into it and see what you... I'll be eager to do another feature <laughs> review where basically I would just copy and paste what I've said in this feature review. Nice. Well, <laughs> Unless they put it in space. If they put it in space, I'm Well, dear listener, look, look forward <laughs> to that in the, uh, in the future. Uh, that means that we've come to the end of our feature review of Emma for this week. So it leaves us only to give our section of the show some time the section that we call credits where we credit something from the entire world that we think is worth your time paul what do you want to credit this week um so i've been watching a tv show uh, called mythic quest raven's banquet which is currently streaming on apple tv other streaming services are available but you won't see it on there um this is from rob mcelroy who is one of the co-creators of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, written by Charlie Day and Megan Gans as well. So Megan Gans 
Uh, I think has done some writing on Always Sunny, unless I'm mistaken, and did some writing on Community as well. So a lot of my favourite shows in there. So this the, the series itself is based around um, video game developers who basically develop the like a massive MMORPG, um, the biggest game in the world. But I wanted to give a shout-out to one particular... There's a standalone episode, which is episode 5, which is one of the finest bits of TV I've seen in a number of years, Pete, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, it stars Jake Johnson and Christina Maloney, I think her name is. I may have got that wrong. Um, as basically sort of young video games developers, they meet in a game store, they fall in love with each other, they work on a video game, they get married, uh, and then they are tasked with creating a sequel to their video game. And it's just an incredible study of what happens when art meets commerce. Um, and what I imagine what a lot of people go through in terms of the creative process. Um, it's really, really heartfelt. It packs a lot of emotion into half an hour. It had me on the verge of tears towards the end. And it's just a brilliant piece of television. Uh, the rest of the series is solid. It's it's funny. It's light-hearted, but this particular episode, if you watch one episode, it stands alone. Mythic Quest, Season 1, Episode 5. It's great. Find it if you can. Nice. Um, I'm also going to recommend a TV series, and now I'm going to sound like a very particular kind of person because I've just mentioned Johnny Flynn, Anya Taylor-Joy, and a tree as a highlight or standout of the last couple of weeks. <laughs> and I'm going to bring to you, Paul, the Netflix phenomenon uh, currently streaming, which is called Love is Blind. Are you aware of this TV show there, Paul? I am not. I am not. I'll be honest. Okay. Uh, here's, here's the uh, cell. So what you have in Love is Blind is literally blind dating. Well, I say literally, the con the contestants are not themselves blind. Oh, I have heard about... Jesus Christ, is this where you're oh, going with this? I mate, have heard about this show. It absolutely <laughs> is, and I will finish. Uh, so, yeah, the, each of the couple... It's a dating show. It's a dating format. Uh, my wife and I, we watch an awful lot of dating shows. We know all about all of them. In fact, a co-recommendation, Nakey Jakey on YouTube has just done a, a video. His videos are amazing, and it's about dating shows check it out but this one is um a pairs of uh, men and women who never see each other because they only communicate from either side of a wall that they cannot see through um and they get to know each other and get to test the idea that love is indeed blind and then here's the hook <laughs> if you are drawn to one of the people that you've effectively been speed dating within this setup you as the guy must propose somewhere during the process and your proposal must be accepted and then you have the opportunity to have a wedding also televised through Netflix or also streamed on the Netflix platform it went up today we've already seen it the final episode with all the weddings <laughs> if you know they they come to fruition uh there are some moments in this film in this film in this series where I was a little bit overwhelmed I had to take a moment Paul to be honest um <laughs> there's one particular proposal and the way that the proposal is made is strong the way that the proposal is answered floored me man it was incredible stuff so if you find that your heart is not cold and cynical to the point of being beyond dating shows and thinking it's all bullshit and non yeah it is it is that but it's also <laughs> a kernel of love and connection and the kind of things that make our hearts beat check it out honestly it's worth the time you'll know from episode one whether this is for you if not bin it off and watch something else if you go with it, I think you're going to be rewarded with a roller coaster of good times. Not all happy, some of them, man. There is a particular argument that happens in the show, which is one of my favourite all-time screen arguments. Right up there with the Jess Jessica Chastain argument in A Most Violent Year. Right up there. It's, right, it's okay. phenomenal. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one's Love is Blind on Netflix. Anything else, Paul? Just contact details, I guess. Yeah, contact details, really. And then we're out of here. Um, so yeah, find us on at Stranger Cinema on Twitter, Strangers in a Cinema on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to email the show, strangersinacinema at gmail.com. And that's been us for this week. We'll be back with a bumper episode episode of reviews next week uh goodbye peace shut up and sit down